0: All right, Reveal, this is our last peaceful scenescape of the series. I know you're probably on the couch or maybe you're still in bed, but just take a moment. Clear your mind and calm your soul as we prepare to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today. Well, Good morning, Reveal. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. I hope and trust that you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, As you probably know, there is no live service today. Everything is online, Uh, but uh, I'm glad that you're with us. We decided to give all of our fantastic dedicated volunteers an entire Sunday off so they could be with their family. Thus, we are online, but we will be back regular next week. I think that's January 3rd, 2021. We leave 2020 in the dust. We kick it to the curve. I never want to see it again. Uh, so next week, we will be back 9 and 1030. Uh, come on back. Start the year off right. Invest in your spiritual future. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next week when we start a new series. Uh, as I said, we're on the final week of our Christmas series called Peace. Uh, let me just give you some big thoughts on what we discussed the last three weeks. The first one we said in week one is that peace is not the absence of, but the presence of. We talked about that peace uh, was not the absence of turmoil, but it is the presence of someone greater than the turmoil. Oftentimes when we think about peace, we, must, uh, we often think that uh, for there to be peace, there must be the absence of turmoil, the absence of stress, the absence of tension. But in reality, peace is not the absence of, peace is the presence of. Peace is not the absence of stress, it is the presence of someone greater than our stress. It is not the absence of a relational strife, it is the presence of someone greater than that relational strife. That's why we said that peace is not a what, but peace is a who, and that who is Jesus himself. That's why Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace. Peace is not a what, peace is a who. My peace I give. I do not give to you as the world gives, which is based on circumstances. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What did we talk about in week number two? We said that Christmas is not a 25-day makeover that portrays perfection, but the wonder and the splendor, the awe of Christmas, is actually this idea of God among the mess, right? John 1, 14 in the message, the Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that imagery that God loaded up the U-Haul, put on flesh, and moved into the neighborhood. And here's the thing, the neighborhood is messy. The neighborhood that is humanity and the neighborhood that is my heart, right? The neighborhood that is me. Jesus got into the mess with us because he knew the only way to get us out of the mess was to get us into the mess. And so God moved into the neighborhood, God moved into the neighborhood, but he didn't move into Rodeo Drive. He moved into the island of misfit toys among the poor and the sick and the defeated and the broken and the hurting and the marginalized. And he threw his arms around all of us and said, you are my people. That is what I love about Christmas. It is God among the mess. Isaiah 9, 6 unto us a child is born a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father we talked a lot about this the prince of peace that phrase in hebrew is the sar shalom Tsar, where we get the word czar, meaning the captain, the chief, the person in charge, the ruler. And shalom means complete or to restore to wholeness. Isaiah looked forward some 700 years before the birth of Christ and said unto us, a child will be given who will be the keeper, the ruler, the captain of shalom. He will be the one that makes us whole. He will take what is broken, he will replace what is broken, and he will lead us into a place of wholeness being complete, being whole. That is the process that we are in right now. We are in the process of becoming what we've already been declared to be. We've been declared righteous. We're learning what that means, right? He is bringing us into wholeness. Last week, we talked about dealing with our past and making peace with our past. And we asked the question, how do we ensure next time isn't like last time? How do we make sure that next time doesn't, uh, doesn't go down the same way that last time went? And we said here's the first thought: is that we need to own it. My best chance at a better future is to share my uh, is to own my share of the past. Take responsibility. What part is your part? Right. Typically, we tell the story that paints us as a victim, but there's more to the story. We broke that down last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to uh, take a listen. So first, we said, hey. Peace with your past you need to own it second you need to rethink it we've all asked the question what was i thinking now we ask it but we often don't sit with that question long enough until we get an answer we need an answer because if we don't know what we were thinking back then how do we know we're not thinking it again today and so we need to rethink it well, we went through romans 12:2 do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind renew your thinking the prayer that we should be praying is, God, God, wash over my mind with truth, right? Wash over my thinking with what is true. And then finally, we said, take away its power. We asked the probing question, how long do you intend on letting the people who hurt you in the past influence your future? How long do you allow, how long do you intend to allow the people who hurt you in your past to influence your future. And the only way to ensure that those who hurt you in the past do not have any say over your future is to release them from your past. The Bible says this idea is called forgiveness. And then how do we forgive? We broke that down last week in the same way that God has forgiven us. We, we are guilty. We do not deserve forgiveness, but God gives us what we do not deserve. And so now as a Christ follower, as someone who has received forgiveness, you are being asked to forgive in the same way that you were forgiven, meaning the person that hurt you, the person that betrayed you, they're guilty. Right? They don't deserve it. It's not minimizing what they do. It's not ignoring what, what, uh, what they did. It's simply you are giving to them what you freely received. You're showing mercy. You're letting them go. God can be their judge. You are letting them go. And then we finally said, we said, forgiveness starts with a choice. That if you're waiting to feel like forgiving, it's never going to happen. Allow your spirit to rule over your flesh and to make the choice, a decision to forgive. And Now we're going to wrap up the series today with the question, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? How do we become a peacemaker. I mean, is it just me or does it seem like society is becoming increasingly more angry and easily offended? It seems like today that we are offended by just about anything and everything. But here's a good reminder, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. And I know that I just offended some of you by saying, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Maybe this is something we need to remember going into 2021. I mean, think about this. Half the world doesn't have access to clean drinking water, but we're going to be offended by what someone said on Twitter, someone that we don't know, someone we will never meet, but I'm going to be offended by that. But the clean drinking water, i mean, forget about that, right? We're so easily offended. Like what you said offended me. Or what you didn't say offended me. I received an email not too long ago from someone who was offended, not by what I said, that happens all the time, but they were offended by what I didn't say. What, What you did offended me. What you didn't do offended me. What you should have done but didn't do offended me. What you believe offends me. Who you voted for offends me. Did you know that recently the angry face emoji... Outpaced all other newly released emojis for the year. Everyone wanted the angry face emoji. What does that say about our culture? Anger has become a public epidemic, it's everywhere. Gene Kim, who is a psychiatrist for the US Department of Health and Human Services and the assistant professor at George Washington University, says this Anger is addictive, it feels good. And overrides moral and rational responses because it originates in the part of the brain that responds automatically and is directly connected to the fight or flight response system. It controls adrenaline rush, including those fueled by anger. Catch this, pout. Outrage gives us an unhappy high. We keep trying to replicate. Right There's something going on in us that it, it's actually possible to become addicted to unhealthy emotions, and then we perpetually chase the next angry high. In other words, we have become controversy junkies. Right, We're looking for the next controversy. We're looking for the next person to offend us. We're looking for the next person to be angry with because it gives us our next fix. Maybe that's part of our problem. We've become addicted to this feeling, this, this aggression, this anger that comes with being offended. But meanwhile, Jesus, as he so often does, he speaks this truth over us. Blessed, oh yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children Of God. Paul says that Jesus is our peace, right? He makes peace between the the, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? They're constantly at odds with one another. He says, Jesus is our peace. Jesus makes peace between us and God. Jesus makes peace between uh, myself and myself, and myself with others. And so it says, Those who are peacemakers, those who are acting in accordance to who Jesus is, they will be called the children of God. Not blessed are the righteous, or I should say, blessed are the religious, for they will be called the children of God. It's not blessed uh, are those who are always right. It's not blessed uh, are, are those of the political left or the political right who fight to defend their position. Blessed are the peacemakers. Understand, what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us the secret to a blessed life which is what every one of us want in 2021. We want a blessed life. And Jesus says, you want to be blessed, be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, happy are the reconcilers. Fortunate are those who love peace, who walk into the tension and then release the pressure. Blessed are the peacemakers. Years ago, there was a song that asked, where have all the good men gone? Well, maybe we should ask, where have all the peacemakers gone? Where are all the Christ followers who sow into peace? Where are those who represent Jesus by pulling us together instead of shattering us apart? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Pray with me, Lord, speak to us today. As we're coming out of a difficult year, we're moving into a a new beginning, and I pray, regardless of what 2021 looks like, that we will make the decision, because Holy Spirit, you impress it upon us, we will make a decision today to be peacemakers, that we will make a decision today to, to reconcile strained relationships, that we will be a representative of Jesus by walking into the tension and releasing the pressure. Blessed are the peacemakers. Speak that over us today. We're going to be in John 13 today, which is known as the Upper Room Discourse, also known as the Last Supper. Uh, We are just hours away before Jesus' arrest and uh, trial and crucifixion. And so Jesus gathers his disciples together for a few parting words. We're going to look at what it means, what it requires to be a peacemaker. Here's my first thought. Becoming a peacemaker requires you to love those, it's painful, love those who fail you. John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Listen, nothing caught Jesus off guard. Right. He was not only a willing participant, he was the author of the script. His arrest, his trial, the crucifixion, bearing the sins of the world upon himself. It was all uh, something that he walked into willingly. Every selfish deed, every uh, uh, sharp word, every form of racism and intolerance and bigotry, every evil act, every wrong ever perpetrated was placed upon him. I love Second Corinthians 5 that says, God made him, Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. Nothing caught him off guard. John's gospel tells us that Jesus knew the hour of his suffering. Now you'd hope, you'd hope that during this time that those who spent the last three years with him would kind of be alert as to what was going on. You would hope that his disciples would rally around him during his deepest time of need. You would hope someone would get up from the dinner table and walk over and put their hand on his shoulder and say, Jesus, what do you need? Jesus, what can we do for you? What is required of us? And instead, taking the same upper room discourse, but in Luke's gospel, Luke says this. This is what they were doing. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus is hours away from his crucifixion and you would think that the disciples would be rallying around him, but what are they doing? They're arguing about who's gonna be in charge after he's gone. If there was ever a time to rally and be at peace with one another, this was it. Instead, they're posturing who's gonna climb the corporate ladder. Now, before we look at how Jesus responds to those who fail him, and the disciples failed him often, right? It's why he said things like, oh, ye of little faith, and how long do I have to be with you, and when are you ever gonna catch what what I'm trying to teach you? Before we look at how Jesus responded, I wanna ask us a question. Ask yourself this question. How do I respond when someone fails me How do I respond when someone does not meet my expectations? How do I respond when when I've been wronged, when when someone has let me down, or when someone has offended me? See, I I think we have a couple options as to how we get out of conflict. I think first we can fight our way out of conflict, some of us are really good at this. Right? If, if, if you're coming at me, I'm coming at you. You push me, I'll punch you. You push me, I'll put punch back. My mom used to tell us when we were kids that if you ever get in a fight, you throw the first punch and you keep punching until they're not moving. Now, she grew up on the streets of Chicago. That's how they handled things there. Right? She's a fighter. She always has been a fighter. Right? Some of you, maybe you're a fighter. right, Someone pushes you and you're swinging, right? Right? Arms. Remember as a kid when we would just kind of flail our arms around and we were like, if you come too close and you get hit, it's your fault. Some of us live our entire lives like that. Right? I'm swinging and if you get hit, it's on you. That's not on me. So, so first thing we can do is we can fight. Maybe you don't fight with your fists. Maybe you fight with your words. Right? Maybe your tongue is a weapon. It's the original Ginsu knife, it chops, carves, slices, and dices. Right, you come at me, I'm gonna get in the last word, and trust me, the last word's going to be sharp. So we can fight our way out of conflict, or we can flee out of con- conflict. Some of us we cut and run. Right? We 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 detach immediately, we head for the hills. Maybe you're a blocker or an unfriender. Right? As soon as we have a disagreement, I cut you loose. Do you run when you're offended? Time to find new friends, new job, new church. What about this one? We can give up. We can just stop trying. We can conclude that it's just not worth it, that they are never going to change, so why put in the effort? I'm done. But here's our other option, one that we often don't think of. We can humble ourselves. How do you respond when someone fails you? Have you ever thought about this one? To humble yourself. Now let's look at how Jesus responded when the people closest to him let him down, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, remember, they're arguing who's going to be the greatest, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Didn't matter what they did, didn't matter how they failed, didn't matter what their past was like, he loved them to the end. Hey, can you love those who failed you? Can you love those who have offended you? Now catch this. Jesus is heading to the cross. His heart is heavy. His disciples, his crew, they're self-absorbed as if the next chapter of history was actually about them. No one would have blamed Jesus if he just went off on these guys. Like, are you kidding me? This is how you treat me in my hour of need? No one's here. No one's asking what is required. No one's asking, Jesus, what can I do for you? Peter, I healed your mother-in-law. I brought her back from death's door. Now, granted, Peter never asked him to heal his mother-in-law. <laughs> Some of you, yeah, you get it. Now, John, John, you're part of my inner three. You saw things, you, you, you heard things, you experienced things that the rest of the disciples didn't. Now, you could have went off on them. Bartholomew, you're lucky to be here with a stupid name like that. No one would have blamed Jesus for really laying laying into his disciples, right? No one. And yet he loved them to the very end. I have good news for us. Coming out of 2020 and going into 2021, Jesus will love you to the very end. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what 2020 looks like or what 2021 may bring, doesn't matter how many times you failed, doesn't matter how long you've been self-absorbed, he will love you to the end, not because you deserve it, simply because he chooses to love and love is his nature. If you want to be a peacemaker, you will need to love even when it's hardest to love, even those who have failed you. Number two, becoming a peacemaker, requires you to humble yourself when it's personal and painful, John 13, 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, right, the, tr- the betrayer, Simon's son, to betray him. That's the last supper. All of his disciples are there, a few hours away from creation, betraying its creator, Possibly nothing more painful than being betrayed by someone you love, being betrayed by someone you trust, being betrayed by someone who you've, you've given your heart to. It's painful. It's cutting, right? It, it feels like they've taken a part of you. What's interesting is this wasn't a I didn't see it coming moment. When Jesus knew his, his betrayer was in the room with him and he knew it. Three years with Judas. Judas had a front row seat for every miracle and every teaching. He, he, he ate at the same table. He slept at the same camp. And what does Jesus do to the one who betrays him? What does Jesus do when it's painful and personal? Well, we know what he does. He washes his feet no one would have blamed Jesus if he just kind of unleashed holy fury, right? No one would have blamed him. And yet he washes the feet of his betrayer. I wouldn't have blamed Jesus if he dismissed Judas from the room and said, I'm not touching your feet. And yet he humbled himself. And so let me ask us, going into a new year, what do you need to humble yourself? With who do you need to humble yourself? Who's offended you? Who's failed you? Who's betrayed you? Perhaps the words of Jesus are being spoken over you today. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are humble even when it's personal and even when it is painful. Number three, if you want to become a peacemaker, it requires seeing the big picture. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus was able to respond like this because he knew who he was. Two things Jesus understood. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, right? This is authority. Jesus understood where his authority came from, into his hands, and that he had come From the Father and was going back to God. This is his identity. Jesus understood his authority. Jesus understood his identity. In other words, Judas did not define him, Judas did not take away any of his glory or any of his being. Right? Jesus knew that my disciples do not determine my future. My circumstances do not control who I am. See, the people who do not agree with you or the people who fail you, the people who have betrayed you, they do not define you. They do not hold your identity. The, the, the person who got one over on you does not hold the authority over your future. The betrayer does not pin the next chapter of your life. The author of your life is God. Jesus understood his authority, where it comes from, and he understood his identity. And out of that, listen, out of that, he's able to respond. You know that feeling of when, you, that, that feeling of when someone gets one over on you and you're just boiling inside? Listen, if, if we can understand where authority comes from, if we can understand our identity, we can let it go. Because he can't take something from me that I've already freely given away. I've already laid it down to be a Christ follower. My identity is found in him. If you want to be a peacemaker, know your authority and know your identity. See the big picture. Next one. Becoming a peacemaker requires action. Notice all of the actions that Jesus takes. Right? Uh, um, being a peacemaker, it's, it's a do-thing. Look at Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose, do-thing, from supper, laid aside his outer garment, do-thing, and taking a towel, do-thing, tied it around his waist, do-thing, and he poured the water into a basin and began to wash, do-thing, the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He washed their feet. This isn't glory work, right? Everyone wants glory. Nobody wants the grunt. This is the grunt work, right? This is the stuff everyone tries to avoid. Everybody wants the stage, everyone wants the limelight. Look at. Man, I have so much respect for people who have a history of doing grunt work. Most of you that don't know me, you don't know that I have a history of doing the grunt work. My wife has a history of doing the grunt work. And and, and, and this is often lost in our society today. So, So here's Jesus washing their feet, getting up in between those toes. I don't like people's feet. I like it if you touch my feet and squeeze them. I don't want to touch anyone else's feet, right? He's he's working off the dead skin off of a bunch of men who wear sandals, wore sandals their whole life. This This is nasty work. Listen, what is being required of you to become a peacemaker? Make the decision today to humble yourself and to step into the role of peacemaker. It's a do thing. It's always been a do thing. If you're going to wait for someone to come to you, you're not being a peacemaker. Go to them. You make the first step. It's a do thing. Next one. Becoming a peacemaker requires you to stop the argument. I love this little passage here. He came to Simon Peter. Now Simon's known for being uh, quick to speak. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet, like, like, like really, th- th- this is what you're gonna do? You're gonna wash my feet? Look at verse seven. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Here's Peter, right, he's firing up the debate team, right? Let's argue, Jesus, let's fight to see who's right. I'm ready to throw down with you verbally, you will never wash my feet feet. But Jesus wasn't interested in an argument. Look at verse 8. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, Pete, if I do not wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. I can't make you. I can't trick you. I won't force you. I, 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 I will not build a case to even try to convince you. But here's the reality, Pete, if you decide you don't want to be with me, that's your decision. But I'm going to love you to the end. And notice Peter's response. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. He's like, you will never touch my feet, then you'll have nothing to do with me. Pete's like, then give me a whole bath. right? Just immerse me completely. Look, Jesus is like, I'm not going to debate this with you. Like, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to stop the argument, right? You have to put an end to it. Let me show you the last one. Becoming a peacemaker requires you to set the example. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You'd think what he was about to say is, since I washed your feet, you should wash my feet. And I scratch your back, now it's time for you to scratch my back. That's not what Jesus said. Because this entire thing was a lesson on how we treat others. This entire thing was a lesson on, on how we love. This entire thing was a lesson on what it means to, to lower ourselves and to become humble and how to serve other people. And how to be a peacemaker. How to make sure, ultimately, what this is all about is how to make sure, please hear me, this is about how do we ensure that the gospel message moves forward. And Jesus says the only way that happens is if you're going to be a servant and if you're going to be humble. And when you step out of that role of being a servant, when you refuse to be humble, the gospel will be stopped, at least with you. God says, I'll find someone else to continue it. There's a lot at stake. Let me wrap this up with Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's saying, look, if there's anything good happening in you, if being a follower of Jesus has resulted in anything good in you, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind, Do nothing, go back please, do nothing out of selfishness, selfish ambition, or vain conceit, rather in humility, catch this one, value others above yourself, next one, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ Jesus Cross. Here's what it means to be a peacemaker. Value others above yourself. Look, if you can't do this, you'll never be a peacemaker. If 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 you can't decrease so Jesus may increase, right? If you can't place yourself as less so that Jesus will be elevated, so that the people who are at, at odds with you can see Jesus living in you. Right? Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you cannot value others above yourself, you will never be a peacemaker. And I'm just telling you, if you're not a peacemaker, your testimony for Christ will be mute. There'll be nothing there you'll have no effectiveness because you're constantly looking for the next high, the next fight, the next disagreement. But today, Jesus is inviting us into this idea of being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know what the world needs in 2021? They need you to be an agent of peace. Through your words, through your actions, the world needs you to be an agent of peace. Jesus says, here's one of the keys to living a blessed life. Be a peacemaker. I leave that with you as we head into 2021. That your legacy at the end of next year will be I am a peacemaker. I honored God in my humility and in my love and preferring others above myself. Holy Spirit, we can only do this if you empower us to do so. And so speak to us over this. I pray right now, I know that we're viewing this across computers and phones and different devices, but Holy Spirit, I believe you can still speak So I'm praying that you would enter into our space right now, wherever that might be, and that you would speak to each individual about the person that they need to become a peacemaker with. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about someone. It may be a name. You may see their face. It may be a situation that just kind of came to your mind's eye. And if the Holy Spirit spoke to you, will you take that next step and just ask, Holy Spirit, now empower me to honor you in my decisions, in my actions, in my words? Will you love to the end? Will you love even when it's personal and when it's painful? Will you be able to see the big picture? Who holds your authority? Where does your identity come from? Can you put this into action? Can you stop the arguing? Holy Spirit, empower us to be peacemakers this year. And to represent you well. In the glorious name of Jesus, our Savior, our sustainer, our life giver. Amen. Reveal, Happy New Year to you. I look forward to seeing you next year. Hey, be wise this New Year's Eve, right? Be wise. Look forward to seeing you next year. I believe the best for our church is still to come. I believe the best for your life is still to come. God bless you. Happy New Year.